welcome to the Creative Constitution podcast. Today I'm joined by Dia Taylor, an amazing producer, director, writer, and so much more. Today's topic, it's all about producing your first feature film on a tight budget. So Dia, tell me a little bit about yourself. Alrighty. Um, yeah, I'm an independent filmmaker based in Melbourne. I've been doing this for about 13-ish years now. Um, and apparently I mainly specialize in producing people's uh, debut features. Uh, I've produced about nine features. Sorry, no, more than that. Uh, 11 features, wow. seven of which would be people's debut features. So. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> you must be you must be the nice type that's like uh, wanting to give people their their breaks, perhaps. Yes. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, someone helped me with my break. So I'm like, you know, you have to pass it on. That's amazing. That's really good. So tell me a little bit about how you got into it in the first place. What brought into you to producing? Producing. That is a toughie, I guess. So when I was younger, uh, my aunt, Sylvana McCausen, was a filmmaker. Um, and she specialized in producing. And um, I don't know, I just kind of remember watching it when I was about 12 or so and just organizing everything. And I kind of enjoyed that because I felt like it was the head, like you were in charge of everything, like the story and everything went under your direction. Um, <clears throat> so I grew up, studied film, uh, realized I also wanted to become a director. And I kind of learned the difference between the two as well. And I was like, well, I don't want to, I don't want to do one or the other. I want to do both. Mm-hmm. Um, and so went into film school. And one thing you learn in film school is no one wants to be the producer. <laughs> um, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's the job that like, you're the, you are the boss, but if something screws up, it's automatically your fault, like automatically. Um, and yeah, I screwed up in film school a lot. I was always the producer and there's a lot of things I regret, but you know, you live and learn. Of Um, course. Yeah. But it was just, yeah, I guess it was something I was considering when I was younger and then was kind of pushed into it because no one else wanted to do it. And I wanted to make films and I couldn't really, I struggled to get people interested into what I wanted to make. Um, So I couldn't, I I struggled getting people to be like, hey, I'm making this film. Can you help me source these things? That's one thing I struggled with. So I was like, well, why should I get someone else to do it when I can just do it? Um, And so, yeah, I guess that's kind of how it, how it happened. A lot of the time you get into things because of personal frustration. And I I totally get that. (laughs) And it's true. I mean, producing or being the producer is definitely not the sexiest job in the world, is it? Uh, But it's very important. And a director and the rest of the crew needs to work hand in hand with that uh, mm. person. So, so tell me a bit after film school. So you, you've done short films, I imagine. How did you transfer that knowledge into feature films and when did that kind of happen? Yeah. So um, yeah, during film school, I, I actually got a job uh, on my first feature um, and because I got that job, I had to kind of defer film school for a while. So I originally started off uh, working in on The Green Woman as a kind of assistant. And then Kestra and I kind of, Kestra, the director, kind of became friends. And she promoted me to first AD. Um, and then when the film wrapped uh, and nothing really kind of happened with post, I kind of stepped up again and jumped on as producer. So that's kind of where it started. Um, I guess I kind of just, yeah, 
features and shorts that they're they're different but they're also not i mean a feature from a creative point of view it's just a longer short Mm. from a producing point of view it's completely different um so yeah i guess i started from the creative point of view and kind of learned as i went um i did some producing classes in film school but none that were really kind of like it was kind of the basics um so i definitely learned a lot more uh producing films than i did at school i'll say that and you learn by by screwing up like i (laughs) i say this a lot i i screw up all the time um (laughs) (laughs) um and and yeah so yeah so after green woman uh i was still deferred from film school and i was living with someone and they had a feature screenplay and they wanted to turn that into a film and they had a budget and so I kind of helped them produce it um and then we were struggling to find a director and I remember a friend of mine Glenn Cook turns to me one day and says dear why don't you just direct it and it had never occurred to me that that was something I could do so I, I went to uh, the screenwriter and I said, hey, look, why don't I just direct it as well? Uh, but I want to shadow produce it. So I don't want my name all over it. I just want to focus on as a director. Mm-hmm. And so I uh, shadow produced that. So what shadow producing is, is you produce, but you don't get the credit, which I was fine with. I just wanted the director credit. Um, and yeah, and then once those two films were released, people started to kind of notice me as someone who can get shit done, I guess, especially when it comes to producing features. And it just kind of went on from there. That's awesome. Yeah. And some of those learnings, I guess, from those mistakes, what, what, what's one of the first things that come to mind? Oh, God. One of the first things. Oh, um, you know I was going to ask. Yeah. <laughs> I guess one thing that I learned very quickly that I have been telling a lot of my directors recently is paperwork is God. Mm. Like distros require paperwork for everything. So, for example, for The Green Woman, when I got that distributed with high-octane pictures, um, they specified that they wanted a contract signed between, between the director and the screenwriter, stating that the screenwriter allowed the director to direct their film the one issue with that is the screenwriter and the director were the same person. Um, right, okay. <laughs> so I, I remember I spoke to uh, Mark from High Octane and I'm like, look, they're the same person, What what's going on here? And he's like, no, you still need to sign it. So even if it sounds dumb, everything has to be signed. If you're shooting in your own house, yeah, it's your own house, but you still need to prove that you've given yourself permission um, because – if you don't have that paperwork up front, you're just going to have to go back and get it. Um, so that's, yeah, definitely one thing that <laughs> I have learned. Um, yeah, just get paperwork all up front, every minor little thing. Wow. Yeah. Has there been like a, a, a time in your life where things have gone sideways because of paperwork? Oh, God, yes. <laughs> yes. Um I had a, I won't say too much, but I had a disagreement with a producer uh, on a project and I was never signed on myself. And because of that, um, I couldn't take them to court or anything because there was no proof that I actually jumped on the project. Oh, wow. So, 
Yeah, so I lost a bit there. Um, so because of that, I'm like, I'm a stickler. Got I always make sure that I'm signed on to every project because I'm like, it's proof. So fair enough. <laughs> so tell me, how does a filmmaker, a director that's got their little sparkle in their eyes, they want to create something cool. They think they're onto a winner with their screenwriting. You know, they've got a play. They've Ooh. got an amazing script. They're ready to take to a producer. What happens? It's a case-by-case basis. Um, I would say someone with next to no portfolio, there's going to be no chance. I Mm. would say you need a portfolio. You need a couple short films you've done to show that, like, you're going to get shit done Um, and to show your style as well. Uh, I would say as well build a pitch deck, Mm -hmm. which is uh, a bit of paperwork that basically explains, like, the vision and the marketing plan of your story um research the kind of producers that are out there uh the ones who would pick up your kind of story uh what else i would suggest as well one thing that a lot of directors don't seem to realize is you know indie film it's not hollywood um you're gonna need to self-fund a lot of it Mm. and it's gonna it's gonna kill you but (laughs) (laughs) we just funding getting funding here is next to impossible i'm trying to get funding at the moment actually for a film we completed over a year ago um and i'm struggling with that so to get funding for a debut feature from a debut director it's going to be next to impossible oh that's something as well uh in the industry you're not considered a a, a, a film director technically and mm-hmm. to have made a feature okay so which is dumb so you could say oh it's my debut short film which is which is awesome but distros won't care <laughs> yeah true they yes. want someone that at least has had a crack at a feature i would imagine mm. it's it's a little bit more bankable as they say it's more trustworthy you know they've mm. gone through the whole journey a short film i mean you could make a short film that's two minutes long. That doesn't mean that you can make a 90-minute film. Oh, yeah. And that's one thing I find a lot of uh, filmmakers struggle with. They're like, oh, yeah, I've made short films. The feature should be easy. You're talking about a one- to two-day shoot compared to a 31-day shoot. Mm. Um, <laughs> and short films as well. You can get away with a bit of lost paperwork features. You can't. Uh, but, yeah, yeah. So you, the industry doesn't consider you a filmmaker until you've made a feature. And then that feature is your debut film, which, yeah. Right. Um, and with yeah. the feature films that you've worked on, how mm. how big are we talking budget-wise? Uh, so, yeah, there's, I'd say the, the lowest budget I've worked on had a budget of uh, seven grand, mm-hmm. uh, which was tough, which was really tough. They cut a lot of corners. Um, and I do not recommend it. Mm. I do not. I was just about to say seven grand. Yeah. That sounds kind of doable. <laughs> yeah, it's look. I I say this to all filmmakers. I'm like, if you want to make a good feature, minimum budget is fifty grand. Fifty. All right. Fifty. I've never. I've. I'll say this up front. I've never made a good feature for less. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um. But the most expensive feature I produced, uh, is Jet, which is my second directorial feature which at the moment has a budget of a hundred and seventy thousand 
That's so, a good amount. Yeah, it's it's painful. Um, <laughs> I unfortunately uh, miscalculated my budget and a lot of it turned into deferred pay. So I'm slowly trying to pay people back as quickly as I can, unfortunately. Mm. But yeah. That, that happens. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so is it the producer's job to find funds? If like if a director was to bring a producer on board, you know, imagining that most of our listeners are at, at their earlier part of their journey. So what does a producer really do? Yeah. So look, in, Ho in Hollywood, yes, a producer is the one that gets the money. Um, in indie, it's a bit different. Like I said, bring your own money to the table because it's very rare that a produce another producer is going to fund your film mm -hmm. because we just can't afford it. Um, right. They they can definitely help look. I would say as the director, um, unless you get lucky, you are the main driving force behind your film. So it doesn't run unless you push it. So you're going to have to put money in, you are going to have to make the time, you're probably going to have to produce yourself a little bit. Um, because I remember once someone asked me uh, what my hourly rate for producing was, and I said straight up, look, you can't afford it. <laughs> like producing is basically almost a full time job. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of the producing I do, I say, look, I'm going to ask for a lump sum, and this is going to be it. But you're going to have to help. Right. Um, yeah. So a producer in terms of indie is basically uh, they help the film. They're like a project manager. Um, so separate. So I'll talk about the films I produced where I haven't been the director. Awesome. Yeah. So when I've jumped on features with other directors, they're in charge. You know, it's their vision. It's what they say. What they say goes. You kind of steer the director, and you're like, okay, so. You help organize things. You help cast and crew. Help looking for funds, definitely. But like I said, it's very rare to get them. Mm -hmm. Don't make a film with the hopes that you're going to get it completely funded elsewhere. It's just not going to happen. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. But, yeah, you're essentially the project manager from start to finish. Um, yeah, helping to cast, crew, uh, helping with the shooting schedule, the breakdowns. Yeah, basically, in my experience, everything. You're just the 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 man. Yeah, like I said, the project manager. You're essentially the CEO of the company. Um, yes. Talk about. Uh, let's talk about kind of what your favorite parts of the job are, because obviously there are so many parts to it. What is your personal favorite? Oh, my personal favorite. That's a toughie. That's a toughie. <laughs> it's, yeah, there's there's good and there's bad points. Um, I. I guess I've got favorite parts in each particular kind of area. So in pre-production, I love casting. Mm. I love it. I love to see the actors who are out there. I love to push forward actors who I've worked with before, who I know would be great. Um, and I love to see kind of like the cast be created, like to see the director's vision kind of come to life. So, yeah, just seeing like... We recently uh, wrapped a production called CCTV Nasty by director Sasha Kana. Um, and I was there all throughout the casting process from start to finish. Um, and, yeah, that really made me realize how much I enjoyed casting. Just we, we had auditions for, like, months, 
nonstop went through like hundreds of people. Wow. Yeah, and just meeting them all and seeing everyone's talent and being like, okay, this person's going to get this role. And just, yeah, so that's that's definitely one thing I love about pre. Uh, principal photography. Um, apart from all the stresses that come, uh, <laughs> I like to be – I'm one of those producers that likes to be on set. Yeah, that's great. I love it yeah. when a producer's on set. Yeah, I'm glad you do. Some people don't. Some people don't. I've been on productions where people are like, what's Dia doing here? (laughs) It's like, are we in trouble? Um, But, yeah, so a lot of the productions that I produce, I also first AD just because it saves them money and I started off as a first AD. Oh, nice. Yeah, so I guess my favorite part of that is just, yeah, watching it all come together. Um, Post-production, I guess I, I love seeing the finished product. Product. I mean, post for a feature can take, in my experience, between one to five years. And just being there at the cast and crew screening, bringing everyone back together, uh, they're all family again. They've all forgotten the crying and the vomiting and the heartache. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> and, and then by then, the editors have been watching that film like a oh, hundred yeah. plus times. <laughs> oh, yeah. Now, the editors aren't usually at the screening. Yeah. <laughs> they're probably <laughs> they're, sick tired of it by yeah. then. They are done. They are so done. We recently had a screening and, yeah, none of the post guys were there. <laughs> I don't blame them. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't blame them. I'm currently in the same in the same kind of stage for post-production and for my own short film. And I think I've seen it a hundred times and I'm like, yeah. I'm like, okay, I get it. Like, <laughs> Yeah, like, oh, this again. Yeah. Oh, God. And you get to the screening and you have to, like, be, like, impressed with your own work like oh wow I'm laughing at this yeah for sure. I haven't laughed at this 50 times before but oh my god but, Spot but on. yeah just to see the the cast and crew who haven't seen it at all you know who were there during production but haven't seen any of the dailies any edits nothing just seeing the finished product and just that sense of achievement um feeling like hey I did something I created this I went through absolute hell and heartache and pain but mm. Here it is. Amazing. So, so with yeah. your experience having worked on quite a number of features, and I'm sure you probably get DM'd all the time about producing more features. So would you have any advice for people that are reaching out to producers? And what are the do's and what are the don'ts? Oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. Let's um, <laughs> open the can of worms. Yes. So I on my website, I've now stated that we don't take unsolicited screenplays because it was getting bad. Right. Um, look, producers do get a lot of projects thrown in their face. Um, and a lot of the time it is hard to read every single one and go through it all. So I would say the projects that I've signed myself onto would be projects where I've built a relationship with the filmmaker beforehand um, rather than just some random person. Like I feel like I have to know them as a person before I say yes. Mm -hmm. So I would say if you want to approach a producer, just get to know them as a person first, like hang out with them, talk to them, and then maybe like slide in one day being like, hey, so I've got a feature. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Networking 101, guys. Yes, yes, (laughs) network, please. Don't Don't just email me out of the blue going, hey, produce my film. 
Um, but it works. I mean, to be honest, though, it works the same way for the filmmaker too. I mean, do you would you rather work with someone that you've never met before, mm -hmm. or someone that you've built a relationship with and actually can get along with? Like you, uh, you know, some exactly. some random producer might accept your screenplay, but then they don't like your vision. You know, they might mm -hmm. want to take the the project completely in a different direction. They might be mm -hmm. a you know a not so great person to you. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, just reach out to people. Exactly, and yeah, I've worked on on films where I've hated some of the filmmakers. Oh god! Um, and they've hated and they've hated me. <laughs> and the reason that happened is, yeah, I didn't sit down with them. I didn't have a coffee with them first. I just jumped on, and then halfway through production, I'm like, wow, I hate it here. Oh my they god! They hate me. Yeah. Did the, did the project go okay in the end, though? Um, it. I haven't heard about it. Oh. Um, I don't think it's been released. Some so. projects do that. They just kind of um, go inside the little cave and never come back out again. Oh, yeah. Green Woman, my first feature I jumped on, uh, was almost going to be like that. So we shot that in 2014 um, for a couple weeks. And then... I kind of like, okay, uh, I was just an AD at that stage. I'm like, cool, my job's done. So I left it with the director. A couple of years went by, about five or seven, and the film hadn't been released and nothing came out. And people were asking me about it, and I was sick of people always asking me about it. So I basically called up Kestra, the director, and said, okay, we're finishing this. Um, and because of that, it got released. And that's one thing I hate. I hate unfinished films. When I was younger, I used to always make unfinished films. They would sit on my hard drives and never be released. But I just, I can't have a film unfinished. It just drives me crazy. Yeah. So, yes. Yeah, right. <laughs> mm. Oh, gosh. I mean, I, I definitely feel your pain there. Yeah. I've been part of some projects that have never seen the light of day. So it yeah. just, it's it just nice. happens. Because it's not only a waste of money, it's a waste of, like, your time as well. Exactly. You got to respect people's time. Like, if people have mm -hmm. put in the time and effort to be there, the least you could do is at least get it done. Re yeah, release it. Oh, I've had some filmmakers go, oh, it's not my best work, or I don't like it. It's like, well, yeah, that may be so, but you've just wasted a bunch of people's time. These people will not work with you again, mm -hmm. and they will talk. Yeah. And then you won't get people jumping on your next project because then you've got the reputation that hey this person doesn't release their films mm. so 100 percent mm. okay so producing on a tiny budget let's get back to yes. some helpful tips for for filmmakers okay so i'm a filmmaker i've got a mm -hmm. feature in mind i don't have fifty thousand dollars where do i start do i crowdfund do I bring some people together? Do I go and, and, and beg for money? What would you suggest? <laughs> Dear, you've got all the experience. We want to know the answers. Oh, yes, yes. All right. I would say look at how much money you can put in straight up. Um, and you've got to look at and see what you have access to. So if your film's set in a castle, you're not going to make it. Mm. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. You don't have a castle. So you have, you have to make sure that the film you have uh, works with what you already have. So, like, Green Woman was shot in a house. Um, same with my debut feature, Marital Problems, was shot mainly in a house, which we had. Uh, you know, CCTV was shot mainly in the city. Places that we have access to. Um, Disconnected, my third feature, was shot all in one kind of country town. Mm. Um, so you've got to work with what you have. 
you could be like, okay, so I have access to three houses. They could be mine, my parents, and my siblings. Sweet, we've got three houses. Uh, what what interesting things do we have? One of those houses is a farm. Okay, cool. We could build that in. Um, oh, hey, I have a friend who works in theatre. They have a theatre they use. We could add that in. Mm-hmm. So work with what you've got in terms of locations. Um, I would say as well, a lot of people love to shoot in one block. Okay. Which is, look, I get it. It's great. <laughs> You know, it's just you get it all out, all done with, and then you have it, which is great. But to shoot in a block of, like, say, 31 days straight, well, not straight, like having weekends off, yeah, you need to realise that your cast and crew have to take work off. Mm-hmm. So they need a livable wage and they need that paid to them weekly or fortnightly. You can't be like, oh, I don't have the money. Mm then they walk because they're like well I have to pay rent or I have to pay mortgage or yeah people people have bills so you you look at that and you and you'd be like okay I can't do it in one block so for jet my feature I was the same I'm like look I don't have the money up front I have some money but it's not what this film's going to cost so what we did is we shot month by month okay by location um which then I could be like hey to my cast and crew hey, I can't pay all of you up front, but you'll be paid within the month. You'll be paid with before the next shooting block. Right, okay. And they were okay because then they could take other work um, and they wouldn't have to be stressed. They could earn other money while they're waiting for, pa- for my payment to come through. Um, and they were great with that. I think that's a great, that's a really great compromise. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It's shooting in one block. You, you're going to need the budget up front. And... A lot of filmmakers I know just don't have, yeah, 50000 up front. It's, it's very rare. Um, I've worked in a few where they have, which has, been, which has been fantastic because you're shooting a block, it's all done. If any problems come up, you can just pay them off. <laughs> but a lot of filmmakers can't do that. So, yeah, shooting by location. So, for example, for Jet, we shot four days in a cemetery. Um, so we shot those four, and then the next scene was at a uh, a bar, which was a day. So we shot there. The next scene was at a house for four days. So we shot at a house for four days. Um, so that definitely helps budget wise. You can kind of save up. I would say definitely utilize students and people wanting to work for exposure. A lot of people starting out do want to do this. But if you do bring them on, make sure they aren't heads of department mm. or lead cast. Make sure. Is that yeah. like a, why do you say that? Is that like a legal thing that you usually would want to do? Or is it just so that you kind of protect the film for distribution? Yeah. So the reason I say that is having someone who's not experienced as a head of department is you're just going to shoot yourself in the foot. I mean, if you bring on a person who wants to be a gaffer, lighting person, Um, and they've got no experience whatsoever, and you put them as a head of department on a feature straight up, they're not going to know what to do. They've got no one to help them. Um, The DOP may be able to help them, but and also if they're a head of department, they deserve to be paid. Heads of department need to be on set every single day, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Um, And even if your film is spread out over a few months, they still deserve to be paid. So I would suggest bring on people who want experience in, like, roles like the runner. Um, 
Runners good. Or even assistance. Assistance, yep, yep. Um, second AD is always really good. Um, ask the lighting team, camera team, um, and split them up. Like, don't be like, hey, you're on set for six days. Be like, hey, what days can you be on set for? Um, it's unpaid. Um, but if it is unpaid, I would specify that they get a full credit in the film and online. Um and expenses covered so so at least they don't go backwards yeah 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 if if you're jumping on a film you don't want it to cost you don't want it to cost them so like um i would say if you're in the city parking being covered um if they have to run around and spend fuel cover that fuel uh if they are uh, one of your extras or something, then and they need a specific costume. You buy that costume. Mm. So yeah, stuff like that. I was gonna say something else. What was I gonna say? I don't remember. Um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. So definitely utilize the help, but don't use them. Yeah. So I think that like, I th- yeah, it's just a matter of being respectful. Again, I think mm. it always comes back to that. If you can take the respectful way and to pay as much as possible and, mm. you know, you're like, okay, I don't have this extremely big budget, mm. but I'm doing the best I can. I think that will yeah. get appreciated. And then if you create a really cool product in the end and then everyone's proud of it, then even better, right? No, exactly, exactly. And be upfront with everyone too. You're like, be like, hey, we're a self-funded independent film. We can't pay you industry standard rates. We can't pay you union rates. Look, unions are great. MEAA, fantastic. Like, what they do for the mainstream guys is great. But a lot of filmmakers need to realize that us indie guys who aren't funded can't pay that. Mm. It's last I checked um, for a 40-hour work week for a lead actor, it was 350-something a day, Mm. Um, which, look, indie features can't be done. So you need to be upfront. You need to be like, look, it's yeah, we don't have much of a budget. We will accommodate as much as we can. You get full credits. You get if you're being paid. Yep, expenses covered. Um, yeah, I've worked on a few films where, as well, they've um, hired actors, uh, cast them, they've run through all the audition stages. They said the film was going to be paid, and then they've turned around and said, oh, we can't pay you don't do that Mm -hmm. oh you gotta stay true to your word yeah if you specify in writing that the person is going to be paid they're going to be paid so you also need to make you also need to be careful with that so my suggestion would be to uh build up a budget estimate first before bringing on any cast or crew and see okay so how much is it roughly going to cost me per day um, and then, okay, cool. So who can I pay and who can I maybe ask to work for free or for expenses? Um, yeah. So that is something I would definitely recommend that way. You're not screwing people over. I, I, I think yeah. that's great advice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> very, very good. Okay. So with filmmakers and the whole producing a feature film on a tiny budget, I'd love some closing remarks from you on some advice that these people can take away from today's talk all right i would say if you have a story inside you and you want to do it your way do it do it because the debt 
as painful as it is, it's going to be worth it when you have that film out, the film that's been inside you for so long and you've given up so much. When you have that on screen in front of hundreds of people, it's going to be worth it. So do it. Do it your way. Be fair, but do it. I love that. And Dia, what are you currently working on and where can people find you? Yeah, so we currently have The Green Woman streaming on a few platforms. Uh, We're about to release How Deep is the Ocean, so that should be pretty exciting. Look out for that sometime in the next six months. Um, Apart from that, we've got a few films in post-production, such as Wonder and Sully, uh, CCTV Nasty, Jet and Disconnected. Uh, I have currently jumped onto another feature called We Will Never Die, directed by Sebastian Bertoli. They're, they're currently looking for uh, people interested in joining the cast and crew. The budget is very tight, like tighter than usual. So <laughs> be aware of that, but they are looking for people. So jump on Facebook, We Will Never Die Movie. Um, and yeah, have a look and jump on board. Hell yeah. I'll put some links in the description. Uh, Thank you so much, Dia. This was Creative Constitution. We hope you've learned something new about producing feature films on a tiny budget. And we'll see you in the next one.